1: As they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
3: Guys, the answer to a long
1: lasting relationship.
3: Here's my advice to you. Uh, Find a woman who will buy you underpants on a regular basis. Because, because Kat, did you sign me up for something or are you just buying me underpants every month?
0: Uh, I, I got a subscription for you of underpants. They
3: they have underpants subscriptions. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. All I know is I'm getting some great underpants, and I'm very, very pleased. Yeah.
0: Well, um, it's really nice because I selected the option to get a variety pack. Mm-hmm. Um, so one pair comes each month, um, but my only... Parameter was that I needed the hot dog pair. Yeah, you got so. me.
3: <laughs> it has like a big hot dog on the. It's actually more <laughs> of a kielbasa. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: which is interesting.
3: My my favorite pair though is uh, the uh, patriotic underpants that you got me that are red, white, and blue. They're star spangled, and they have a big eagle on the front with a giant beak.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty average size beak. <laughs> <clears throat>
3: me and my average size beak. What do you got for me, Sweet Pants McGee?
0: <laughs> you called me fun name. Mm-hmm. It was May 18th, 1927, and the excited kids of Bath Township, Michigan, were attending their last day of school before summer break. Now, I want to warn you, this is going to be rough.
3: I can tell by the tone in your voice. Yeah. That this is going to be a rough one.
0: Yeah, okay. So Bath was a rural village uh, rural. Rural rule. Bath was a rural village of 300 people. And despite its location, about 10 miles from Lansing, um, the school was made up of kids from lots of local neighborhoods. In 1922, Bath opened this consolidated school, the Bath Consolidated School, and it brought all of the region's students under one roof. But at 845, the north wing of that 3 story structure exploded with Ooh. such force that the boom was heard miles away. My God. And what year was this again? 1927. Eyewitnesses and survivors were interviewed afterward by reporters. And uh, one of the teachers at the school, Bernice Sterling, told the AP that the explosion was like an earthquake. The air seemed to be filled with children and flying desks Oh, my and God. Books. Kids were tossed high in the air. Some were catapulted out of the building. People rushed to the school to see what had happened and to help pull the students and teachers from the rubble. One of those volunteers was Monty Ellsworth. He noted that the north wing of the school had collapsed and that the edge of the roof was on the ground. So he recalled that there was a pile of kids five or six deep under the roof. He volunteered to drive back to his farm, and he was going to get a rope that would be heavy enough to pull the school roof off of the children's bodies. Oh, my God. So as he was heading back to his place, he passed his neighbor, Andrew Kehoe, heading toward the school. He saw Andrew. Andrew saw him. And he said, Andrew grinned and waved his hand. And when he grinned, I could see both rows of his teeth. Andrew Kehoe was a 55-year-old school board treasurer, and he was angry about the increased taxes that had recently been put in place in Bath for the addition of the new school. He had also been defeated in the election for township clerk. So he wanted lower taxes, and he fought against the new school system, and he repeatedly accused the superintendent of schools, Emery Hewitt. Of fiscal mismanagement. He had studied electrical engineering at Michigan State University and he had a farm. He also had a reputation in town as super frugal and he was very hot tempered. His neighbors described him as a tinkerer and a knowledgeable handyman, but indicated that he was really pretty indifferent as a farmer. Mm. So he had this farm, but he really didn't put his heart into it. His wife was ill with tuberculosis. And he'd recently stopped making the mortgage payment. So his farm was facing foreclosure. Well, about 30 minutes after the explosion at the school, Andrew Kehoe drove up to the site. He saw Superintendent Hewitt and summoned him over to his truck. Kehoe then stepped out of his truck. They had some words. He aimed his rifle at the truck and fired. His truck was filled with dynamite and shrapnel. And the explosion killed the school superintendent. It killed himself. It killed a retired farmer nearby and Cleo Clayton, an eight-year-old second grader.
3: This is after the school exploded.
0: Clayton had survived the first blast and wandered out of the school building. Oh, Jesus. Victims' bodies were placed in a temporary morgue set up in the schoolyard and then were eventually taken to the town hall, which was used as a temp morgue. Local physician J.A. Crum and his wife, a nurse, had both served in World War I, and they transformed their drugstore in the town into a triage center. The governor of Michigan at the time, Fred W. Green, arrived in the afternoon and assisted in the relief work. He was carting bricks away from the scene. Meanwhile, the Lawrence Baking Company of Lansing sent a truck filled with pies and sandwiches, which were served to the rescuers, In the township's community hall. So, police and fire officials gathered at the Kehoe Farm to investigate. When they arrived, they discovered all of the Kehoe Farm buildings had also been destroyed.
3: So, he blew everything up.
0: Everything. State troopers were searching for Nellie Kehoe, Andrew's wife, throughout Michigan.
3: Tuberculosis. That's
0: right. They thought she was at a sanitarium, but they discovered that Nellie had been discharged two days earlier. Nellie Kehoe had been murdered by her husband sometime between her release and those bombings two days later. Kehoe put her body in a wheelbarrow at the rear of the farm's chicken coop, where it was found heavily charred after the farm's explosion.
3: Boy, this guy was a lot of
0: fun. The farm's barn had also been burned down.
3: Nobody noticed
0: this? It was rural, and he had arranged it so that the farm and the school blew up at the same time. Oh, wow.
3: Yeah. Holy shit.
0: The barn that had been completely destroyed had horses inside. Kehoe had hobbled those horses, so they had no chance of escape. He also placed firebombs throughout the house, uh, so that had exploded as well. It was determined that Kehoe had spent months planning this event he was driving to lansing buying explosives coming back to town and bit by bit loading the floorboards of the school with dynamite so for months
3: and and this is because of his tax unhappiness with the level of taxation yeah wow
0: He also had the foresight to buy a new set of tires for his truck to avoid breaking down while transporting the explosives. Oh, well,
3: good for him.
0: Rescue workers searching through the rubble of the school found some 500 pounds of explosives in the south wing that had failed to detonate. Uh, Kehoe had intended to destroy the entire school so the search was halted to allow Michigan State Police to disarm the devices they found that an alarm clock had been set to go off at eight forty-five a.m and they thought that maybe the initial explosion had somehow caused a short circuit in the second set of bombs preventing them from detonating well that's ironic right wow They searched the building, uh, and then they returned to recovery work. They also discovered that there was several containers of gasoline um, that they thought had been placed strategically around the building in the event that the bombs didn't go off. He had planned on lighting the school on fire.
3: Right at the beginning of the school day.
0: Yeah. It was between 5 and 6 o'clock that evening before the last child was taken out of the school. In the end, 44 people died, 38 of them students And during the investigation, officials found a sign wired to the fence of Kehoe's farm with the lettering that read, criminals are made, not born. Obviously, blaming everyone else for this horrendous behavior. So although there was no doubt that Kehoe was the one who had planned this and set about doing this. Um, There were witnesses that saw him loading things into the school. But of course, no one thought, hey, that's probably dynamite. Mm. Uh, There were people who said that he had been wiring things on his farm for weeks and was always like super sketchy about what he was doing. But of course, they thought, well, he's just kind of he's a tinkerer by trade, a tinkerer and he's private and he doesn't like to share. Okay, fine. But during the investigation, they interviewed Bernice Sterling, as I said, one of the teachers at the school. And she recalled that not long before the incident, she had asked if she could use the woods owned by Kehoe for a picnic. And he responded by saying, if you're going to have a picnic, you best do it right away.
3: Okay, Knowing what we know, that makes sense. But that must have seemed very Ominous to her.
0: Yeah. What's upsetting is that so many people did see things going yeah. on that were suspicious, that were super sketchy. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they had all shared this information, they would have gone, wow, something's up. But individually, you always err on the side of, well, maybe it's not.
3: But he was known as like the town hothead, right? Yeah. Everybody knew that he was uh, easily incited. Mm-hmm. And nobody said anything. That's amazing.
0: Of course, the coroner came in and there was a trial. And what the jury was trying to determine was if the school board or its employees held any criminal negligence in this incident. So after a week of testimony, the jury exonerated the school board and its employees and determined that Kehoe conducted himself sanely and so concealed his operations that there was no cause to suspect any of his actions. And we further find that the school board and Frank Smith, janitor of the school building, who, you know, must have felt terrible knowing this, the guy had been sneaking into the school, putting dynamite under the floorboards I mean, he's in this building cleaning every day. He's the
3: custodian.
0: Yeah. They were not negligent in and about their duties and were not guilty of any negligence in not discovering Kehoe's plan. And I think the general idea here is who would, who would think that this was your plan? It is so outside the realm of a thought process of like, I'm angry about my taxes, so I'm going to blow up a school. Mm.
3: And the sad thing is, in his mind he thought he was a patriot.
0: I'm sure he felt completely justified. Yep. Criminals are made not born, mm-hmm. you know. He he thought that this was all everyone else is doing, which right. is just redonk. The Bath School disaster remains one of the worst mass murders at a US school in history. Good
3: God. And we've had plenty of them. Yep. Wow. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Sorry
0: about that. I guess. I guess my message here is: if you see something, say something. Right. Like me and the New York subway system, we totally agree on that.
3: That's another thing we've learned today: is that Cat is in complete agreement with the New York public transit system.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know how they always have those signs yep. that
1: say, "If you, yeah, yep, if yep. you see, you know what yeah, I'm, yeah. you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about." Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about
0: picking up what you're putting down. Thanks, bonus ponies for you. And
1: now that thing in the middle. You're probably listening to this episode on
3: your cell phone. Well, the history of cell phones is amazing. Did you know that it was originally invented by Alexander Graham Bell in 1880, according to history.com. Bell invented a wireless telephone that transmitted conversations and sounds by beams of light. He called it his Photophone. It was patented in 1880, and he claimed it to be the greatest invention I have ever made, greater than the telephone. But given the technology of the time, the Photophone's utility proved limited. It wasn't until fiber optic technology was developed, nearly a century later, that the transmission of sound by light found its first wide-scale commercial application.
1: If this podcast were a cookie, it would probably be chocolate chips, nuts, and little metal shavings that get caught in your tongue. Bad cookie. Bad cookie. This is the Box of Oddities.
3: This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca.
0: And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them.
3: Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame and since i can't be there to experience it with her it's the next best thing and speaking of mothers if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames it allows you to share and display unlimited photos it's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the aura app and here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Adity's freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com use code oddities at checkout to save that's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout and you will save. Thanks Aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer.
2: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean piles and I host nerd wallets smart money podcast.
0: We were tagged in a tweet on Twitter, because that's where tweets go, mm-hmm. uh, by Justin Sisk. Who the actor. Is the actor friend. And they wrote, congratulations to one of my favorite podcasts, Box of Oddities, for winning a Webby Award. Katrina Walls and Jethro, you both deserve this for the amazement you gift us with twice a week. Aw. Love it. Thank you, Justin. Thank
3: you so much, Justin. I saw him recently in an episode of True Terror. He was great. Absolutely. I don't know how I fell down this particular rabbit hole, but uh, here's a bunch of weird shit that sold for a lot of money at auctions.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay.
3: Um, <laughs> somebody actually bought Justin Timberlake's leftover French toast. Oh. Yeah. It was about, no. It was 20 years ago, though. I guess it was longer than 20 years. Holy shit. Anyway, he was being interviewed at Z100 in New York. Uh-huh. Big radio station there. And uh, apparently they bought him breakfast and he didn't finish it. (laughs) So he left some French toast behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, whoever was doing the morning show then, he put it up for sale on eBay. (laughs) And it sold for $1,025.
0: Wow. To
3: uh, Kathy Summers, who at the time was a teenager she had a lot of disposable income, apparently. And
0: it turns out, plot twist, she's just a real big fan of French toast.
3: Yeah, she didn't care yeah. anything about She didn't even know who Justin Timberlake was. No, that's not true. <laughs> she said uh, when she was asked what she was going to do with it, because it wasn't even good French toast. It was partially burned. Um, she said she she planned on freeze-drying it, sealing it, and then uh, keeping it on her dresser.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a
3: great right. investment.
0: Well, we had, um, let's see, leftover crab cakes from when Howie Carr came to our work one time. Could we,
3: uh, Howie Carr, could we sell Howie Carr crab cakes?
0: Could we sell Howie Carr crab cakes?
3: <laughs> Radio talk show host Howie Carr <laughs> and his leftover crab cakes. I'm surprised there were any leftover crab cakes.
0: Stop it. Do not. Anyway. That is fat shaming and we don't do that here.
3: He's not fat. Why did you say that? He's just a very enthusiastic seafood fan. Anyway, a dead shark in formaldehyde, apparently, Damien Hirst. He is known, he's an artist, he's known for his obsession with death. Uh, He has very macabre kinds of uh, pieces of art. In 2004, he sold a dead tiger shark. Preserved in formaldehyde, it was called, the title of the art piece was, The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. It's oh, sold, okay. It sold for $8 million. Wow. Yeah. $8 million bucks. Now, art, of course, it's, it's a, a subjective thing. Of course. And so- We don't
0: art gatekeep here.
3: It's hard to say what is art. But w- if you take a banana yep. and you duct tape it to the wall yes. of a museum, is that art- It can be. Apparently so, because it sold for $120,000. Wow. And when they removed it from the museum, it was literally a banana with a piece of duct tape on it.
0: Now, was it a fresh banana? Had it browned?
3: It it was browning. It was pretty brown. At the time. Yeah. Here's an item I can get on board with big time. John Lennon's toilet seat.
0: Uh, I don't
3: know. John Lennon... If his butt cheeks touched it, I want it.
0: I don't know. I think that there's some problematic... That's not... No. It came from his
3: Tittenhurst Park estate. It's actually a flowered toilet seat. Oh. And it sold for $15,000.
0: Okay. That's... um stimulating the economy that <laughs> right. is good for everyone Gotta hurts
3: no one keep those dollars circulating That's
0: right guess what
3: yeah. yeah somebody circulated a lot of dollars to buy a big pile of elvis presley's hair in... oh
0: i remember hearing about yeah. that
3: this is back in 2002 his barber apparently smartly saved a bunch of his hair trimmings <laughs> kept them in a plastic bag and uh, he sold those for one hundred fifteen thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, I would pay to have Elvis Presley's hair away from me. Really? I yeah. uh, no, thank you. No, I'm not, not an Elvis a... fan. No, <laughs>
3: <laughs> the King of Rock and Roll. You're not a fan of his?
0: I am not a fan really? of uh, uh. people who marry fourteen year old girls. <laughs> no, not but generally.
3: Did he marry her when she was fourteen?
0: I I. I'm not sure I can check it. I mean, I think so.
3: He started dating her when she was like 16, I think, or something like that. Yeah, Um, it's weird.
0: Yeah, she was 14 uh, when they met at a party in Germany and he was 24.
3: That's Scylla? Yes. Scylla. Yeah, okay, I get your point. How much would you pay for a pair of Queen Victoria's underpants?
0: Oh, that I would bid on.
3: Queen Victoria's Secret. Um, she apparently had some very classy underpants and, uh, some of them survived in one pair in particular in pristine shape. They've been wrapped in tissue and kept in a temperature controlled room. The waist size is 45 inches.
0: Would would tissue paper be good for... Preserving underpants, I guess. Uh,
3: maybe it would absorb moisture, I don't know. I
0: suppose, I don't know.
3: They sold for $16,300. They even have a little monogram on them with the initials VR on them, Victoria Regina.
0: I want monogrammed underwear, that's so fancy.
3: I'll buy you a pair with a-
0: An eagle on
3: it? An eagle on it, if you like. <laughs> well, an I average mean, size beak.
0: I have an eagle pair to match yours. Oh, that's
3: true. Yeah. (laughs) We have matching star-spangled underpants. We do. We do.
0: We're festive in July. We
3: certainly are. (laughs) Yeah,
0: That's us. Patriotic.
3: A good portion of time, though, on the weekend, old glory's flying at half-mast. Wait, what? You know who Truman Capote is, right? Yeah. Who's the author of Breakfast at Tiffany's.
0: In Cold Blood.
3: In Cold Blood. Uh, When he died, he was cremated. And his ashes were put in a wooden, a Japanese wooden box, and he, I, I guess, willed them to Joanne Carson, who was Johnny Carson's wife.
0: Oh, okay. Because I
3: guess they were really good friends, mm-hmm. and uh, she died in 2015. Of course, Capote died in what 84. So she had them for quite a while, and they they went on quite a journey during the time that she had them. They were stolen at one point. Oh, my goodness. And recovered. And then after she died, they went to auction in 2016. An anonymous buyer promised that Truman will continue his adventures. The ashes sold for $45,000. Oh, wow. Back
0: in 1922,
3: Albert Einstein was in Tokyo. He was on a book tour. And that's where he was when he found out he had won the Nobel Prize. He was overwhelmed by the honor and the attention. And so he started to put some thoughts on paper. At the same time, a bellboy came to his room, and he didn't have any money for a tip. So he gave him his notes, the little things that he was jotting
0: Uh, down.
3: And they're just thoughts that he scribbled on paper. It said, A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. So that's what the bellboy got. And in 2017, it went to auction for $1.56 million.
0: Wow. That reminds me of the story about Salvador Dali doodling on checks that he wrote yes. for big meals because he knew that someone wouldn't cash that check. That's, that's right. You're hanging <laughs>
3: on to that. On it. It's a, it's got a dolly doodle on it. has got a Dali doodle on
0: it. It's so sneaky.
3: A friend of mine worked at an art store in Tucson uh, years ago when Paul McCartney had his ranch in Tucson. That's my beetle. And Linda was his wife at the time. She was still alive. Mm -hmm. And she would go to this art store quite frequently. And she would always pay with a check. And of course, nobody ever (laughs) cashed the checks. Oh, wow. A friend of mine, she showed me one of Linda McCartney's uh, uncashed checks.
0: Oh, no, I'd cash that check. (laughs) (laughs) Would you? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'd photocopy it first. And then I'd, wait, is that legal? I don't know. Yeah, I
3: don't know. How much would you pay for uh, a wad of
0: Nothing. Britney Spears? Nothing. I can tell you right away. Britney Spears. The answer is none.
3: <laughs> with the word wad?
0: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then
3: combined with Britney Spears? Um,
0: I uh- do like Britney. Oh, who doesn't like Britney? She was unfairly treated for too long.
3: It made her And more- her
0: conservatorship is redonk.
3: Well, yes. But please
0: continue. Wad of what? Gum. No.
3: Yeah, a piece of uh, wadded up uh, chewing gum. Used chewing gum. It was retrieved outside of London's Sanderson Hotel, (laughs) and it was listed on eBay as Britney Spears' DNA.
0: Yeah, that's my first thought.
3: Sure. Well, eBay made them take it down because it violated their human body parts and remains policy.
0: Oh, see, if they had just said gum, probably they would have gotten away with it. Yeah,
3: but they didn't. And discarded chewing gum, that's kind of dumb, but um, here's something even dumber Britney Spears' used pregnancy test.
0: No. It was found
3: in a waste paper basket at a hotel room where she was staying with her then-husband, Kevin Federline. It was initially sold to a Canadian radio station. And then it was bought online by the uh casino GoldenPalace.com. It's on display there.
0: Good God. Does she perform there? Because that would be kind of like, it would make sense. Like, Britney's here, sows her gum. This was her pregnancy test. Oh, that's right. Britney's here,
3: sows her whiz. That's uh, what it says on the uh, sign that her show is called The Whiz.
0: The Whiz. Yeah. <laughs> it's Britney, bitch. And it, my whiz.
3: It sold for five thousand one dollar.
0: Cause some cause the other bidder was like, I'll go to five thousand, no more. That's and right. someone was like, five thousand one, swooping in. That's
3: right. They sniped it.
0: Better than sniping it, am I right? A <laughs> oh, little well, Harry Potter humor for you. Very okay. little.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> I love auctions. I love going to auctions. Yeah, me too. But I have no interest in bidding on a former boy band's uh, leftover breakfast.
0: Let's talk about some of the great things that we have won at auction. One, I got this set of bath crayons once that I (laughs) loved. They were great. They smelled good. Mm -hmm. And they were fun in the tub. Um, one time, my dad bought a uh, safe deposit box at auction, and the title to his mom's house was in that box. Shut up! No, I will not. And he
3: didn't know it. No. Oh my god!
0: Isn't that crazy?
3: You should do a whole segment on that.
0: I mean, that's all I know. Oh, okay. That's that's the end of that story. So.
3: Well, you told it beautifully. Thank you. Oh, Kat doesn't want me to talk about this, so um, I'm going to talk about it. What we got a um, we got a call from somebody famous. No, and um, actually, it wasn't a call; it was an email from uh, their production company, and uh, we have a Zoom meeting with with somebody famous who wants to talk to us about maybe a television project.
0: Why would we talk about this? What's the point of saying that even? <clears throat>
3: because it's fun to watch your facial expressions. <laughs>
0: You're so mean to me. I
3: love you. <laughs> I love you with all my heart and my
0: average-sized eagle beak.
3: And I, and I love you guys, too. We both do very much. We, we look,
0: appreciate you so much.
3: Looking forward to seeing you next time.
0: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful
1: freak. At half-mast. <laughs> and so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.
2: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora,
3: and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.